I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of this podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. Today, I have two very special guests, uh, a guest we haven't had in a while. So I want to welcome Mr. Kenny Molina to the Thoughts on Money podcast. Hey, T, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, excited to be here, both of you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And obviously, I uh, have to bring back uh, my uh, co-partner here that comes every show, Mr. Sean Latimer. How are you doing on this beautiful Friday? I'm good. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Kenny. Welcome back. Hey, before we start... Uh-oh, don't do it. We have something really important to say. No, nope, right. don't That's do right. it. It is Trevor's birthday. And we just deciphered, based on my age, that I'm halfway to RMDs. <laughs> You're on your way. I'm it's halfway to required minimum for, distributions. For now, if it stays to the current age. There you go. Uh, today, we're going to talk about an article that I wrote called Lost in Translation. And uh, Kenny, this isn't the reason we have you on here, but you are a, a native Spanish speaker, so I think you will get good humor out of my story today. Yeah, I dabble. Uh, I uh, opened up the article with saying, if you live in Southern California and you're involved in youth ministry, there's a really good chance that you're going to take a short-term mission trip to Mexico. I've probably been to 15 or 16 different trips down there, whether it's uh, building homes or visiting orphanages or hosting youth events. So it's a pretty normal thing to do. The funny thing is, when you're bringing down there uh, young high school students or college students that have had one or two years of training of Spanish, they kind of go down there with a little too much confidence and they try to uh, act like they're um, fluent Spanish speakers and it comes with some pretty humorous stories. So the story I mentioned in today's article uh, I thought was pretty funny, but it was pretty embarrassing for the young lady who's a friend of mine. She was starting conversation with somebody and what she wanted to articulate was that it was hot outside and that she could feel the temperature um, that... uh, she was describing that's really hot. Um, because this is a family-friendly show, I won't say what it actually translated <laughs> to, um, but in English we might say that a dog is in heat or somebody is eager to mate. Um, so she said this to one of the local workers that was also very involved in the church that only spoke Spanish, and his eyes got uh, as big as you could believe and was like, why is this girl telling me this right now? <laughs> so I, I started the article that way, one for a good laugh, but to say that things can get lost in translation. And then that kind of segues us to a conversation about how advisors and clients or advisors and investors, whatever you want to call them, um, they have a lost in translation moment a lot of the time when we're talking about risk. Yeah, absolutely. And being client-facing for you know mo- most of my career, it uh, it's pretty obvious because when you ask someone how they would define their risk tolerance, you can tell it's a question that they haven't gotten lately. And uh, most investment firms will categorize it in three categories, conservative, moderate, and aggressive. And it's interesting because anytime you ask anyone that, they don't want to say conservative because they're thinking, well, I'm not going to make any money. And they don't want to say aggressive because then they're thinking, I'm swinging for the fences, I might lose all of it. So I would say most people fall into the middle bucket. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and I think it's pretty normal, right? I, I know that we all can have different opinions on how we want our steak cooked, but I'll bet you the most common way that they get it ordered at a restaurant is probably medium, Yeah, right? It's probably not a lot of people that want it uh, rare, rare pink, right. and it's probably not a lot of people that want it well, well done, even though you're probably thinking it's somebody who does, but people usually choose the, the middle option. Right. So when you read this, uh, you're not client-facing, but you're very heavy on the analyst side and things like that. So kind of what did it spark for you? Yeah, so 
leading off what uh, Sean just said is uh, the conservative balanced. Uh, our industry tends to be very jargon heavy, right? And yeah. so in the article, it says that miscommunication can lead the client or the investor to start thinking about, am I going to lose all my money, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not what the advisor is trying to say at all. Yet, so much of investment can be uh, behavior-based, whether they can stick to the plan or not. So if you, as an advisor, can't, uh, you make yourself be understood or help the, the client understand the portfolio, through that jargon, they may start kind of losing the plot. They may uh, start uh, compounding that anxiety with markets, right? And uh, the long-term success of the client's portfolio is whether or not they can stick to the plan. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And that's what I really, I'm glad you mentioned it because I wanted to hit home on this article is that when an advisor starts asking about risk, you can laugh when I say this, but what they're really asking is what's it going to take for make to make you misbehave? Like yeah. at what point will you derail yourself from the financial plan? Because if you're in this industry and you're an advisor, you have a lot of experience where you've tried to handhold somebody to make a good decision, but they leaned on their own emotions and they made a bad decision. And that that is not a criticism. That is not to kind of uh, put laughter at somebody's mistake. It's natural. That's one of the biggest reasons we have an advisor. I always tell people there's three legs to the stool on the way we serve people, investment management, financial planning, and behavioral coaching. Behavioral coaching is always underappreciated, but it's really nice when you go through tough markets to have somebody that was willing to walk alongside. So when an advisor asking about risk, they're wanting to know what will make you change your mind about this financial plan? When is it going to be too much pain or too much anxiety or too much uncertainty? But like Kenny said, when the client hears that question, they hear, how willing are you to lose your money? Mm -hmm. And a right. client's not willing to lose their money <laughs> at all. No, it's true. And another thing to keep in mind too is um, – when clients, when you're going down the financial planning path and you're working with a client to build an allocation, um, it really comes down to what their needs are too. It's not just comfort level all the time because, and it is kind of, I guess that's the art of our profession is navigating those waters of what they're comfortable with, but what they also need. Because one, there's some people that have done a great job saving. They don't need S&P returns, right? But then on the other side, um, maybe they're playing a little bit of catch up and they're going to need a little bit more market exposure than they expected. Yeah, and also, I'm not one to say that, hey, you just have to maximize your returns, but there is something to be said. If you continue to compound some surplus, you have a lot more opportunity what you can do with that, whether it's yeah. giving it to charity or, or whatnot. But I, I like what you said. It It's one part comfort and two part need, right? Because if you are a personal trainer and somebody comes in, you're not going to just say, hey, I'm going to put you on the treadmill on a walking speed for an hour because, Kenny, man, I, I know you don't like to sweat. <laughs> not at all. Sometimes it's the advisor's job to kind of help them get that sweat because what we clearly articulate in this article is that returns are related to volatility, right? right. It's par for the course. Absolutely. Yeah. So creating that optimal portfolio is goes a long way to helping, as you mentioned, investors kind of stick to the plan. And uh, as I mentioned, the article, poorly uh, constructed uh, portfolio is something that can compound negatively, right? Not just in regards to returns, but if you have an investor that, as you mentioned, uh, doesn't has been very successful to sa in saving, doesn't really need to knock it out of the park, as you mentioned, equity like S and P type returns. So you, but you create a portfolio that is perhaps too volatile, too uh, highly al allocated to equities, for example. So the volatility or the movement in the portfolio increases. That negatively compounds with time because it, it starts eroding the clients or the investors' ability to withstand or stay in the portfolio, right? And in the worst case scenario, during a, a severe market downturn, 
that can create uh, that can force them to perhaps capitulate and realize losses at the most suboptimal time. That's so true. And uh, Trevor, you mentioned in the article, but setting expectations is so important um, for both sides, um, for upside expected returns and for possible downside. Uh, Trevor, maybe you can touch on that. I, we, we were talking about this a few weeks ago, and it's pretty interesting if you look at intra-year downturns. Do you want to touch on that? Uh, yeah, I, I think you're talking about that if you look at every year on average from the peak point to the trough point, uh, from the high point to the low point, the market, which we're just talking general stock market, usually has a, a downside of about 14%. In the industry, we call that a drawdown, right? We measure from the peak point to the bottom point. We call that a drawdown. On average, it's about 14%. Mm-hmm. So again, not to say par for the course again, but expectations are important in order to have clarity. And I'm going to use that word a lot. You as an advisor should be telling a client, "We're this is going to happen this year. Right. This happens every year. And what I've been saying more to clients is just looking historically and how things have a cyclical nature to them to say, hey, Sean, you're 30 something years old. You're going to be an investor for the next 50 or 60 years. There's going to be like 10 more of these, I don't know, 30% drawdowns you're going to experience. That is going to happen. Not not an if, but a when. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but you and I need to be on the same page. That's absolutely going to happen. And we're going to build that into your financial plan. It's not a surprise. I think that's really important because I, I would imagine there's a large percentage of clients that have seen it. They remember 2000, they remember 2008, they remember 2020, but they didn't expect it. And I think setting those expectations make it much more comfortable for both the client and the advisor. Because then you say, hey, remember when we started, we knew this was going to happen. That's why we have these guardrails and these safety nets. Maybe that's a good segue into the safety net thing. Uh, we'll talk about the safety oh, net. But I'm going to pivot over to a question for Kenny because I make a criticism against the industry. And I actually think you on the analyst side, it's, it's kind of in your world, this is really normal. But from an advisor side, I actually think this is a big mistake that the industry likes to associate risk with volatility. So maybe you could speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that kind of uh, connects to that conversation about expectations. Uh, when people start talking about risk, they try to bring it back to something that the client knows, as you mentioned. So, uh, you know, past performance. And people like to lean on that for safety, right? right? But everyone wants to be part of a record-breaking year in the market, right? Uh, so, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, there's a little bit of uncertainty about the future. You, you obviously want to look at the past, What's my maximum? What's my maximum exposure in some kind of downturn? Um, but uh, there's there there is has to be uh, expectations. There has to be expectations toward the futility about kind of creating these very long term objectives or, or or views in the market. Right? Uh, I read a book by uh, uh, Nassim Taleb, the Black Swan, where he says that people kind of create uh, these outlooks ten years out, but you can't even know what five months out looks like. Right? So you have to kind of create that portfolio that not only meets your financial objectives. Uh, by incorporating your risk objectives constraints, but also meets your uh, an emotional balance for the investor. But I want to pose that question even more aggressively to you, is why is there this relationship between volatility and risk? Because I'm actually going to challenge you sure. to say that when I'm talking to a client, I am more, like Sean said, more interested in what do they need to accomplish their financial plan and what outcome are they trying to create? And I'm going to talk about what I think risk actually means, but I am... If they're okay with it, and if they have a trusting relationship, I want them to experience volatility. 
Absolutely, right? Without that volatility, you don't have the ability for the portfolio to grow, right? If you would know that the market is only going to go up for the next 50 years, you would only hold risk assets and you would probably leverage up. You would maximize up, but you, you, you can't know, right? So absolutely, your portfolio needs a good balance of upside capture, but then you need to bake in that downside protection to minimize some of the volatility in the worst case scenarios. But I'm going to challenge you. Why do you want to minimize the volatility? Because we go back to that conversation about investor behavior, right? If the client cannot uh, you know, uh, hold pace, they cannot uh, allow their portfolio to recover, let's say, during a drawdown because the risk is to grade the volatility, their portfolio has moved too much. So they won't be able to stomach the volatility. Exactly. And they will realize loss, they'll capitulate, and that's the worst case scenario for So question for you, can you train somebody in that area to be better? I believe with ongoing communication, as you mentioned, very clear expectations, uh, yes, you can, you can help someone be a better investor. Uh, you can help them uh, by helping them understand what's in the portfolio, right? What is the different compositions? Why do they hold certain things? If they are not confident in what they hold, why they hold it, and they've properly allocated to be able to withstand some of that volatility, no amount of communication will allow them to stay the course. Uh, I'll jump in because uh, I'll answer that question. Can you train someone? Yes, but not everyone. Right. Because I've had people that they agree, they believe, they're in the plan, it all makes sense, but they cannot stomach the volatility. And that's something that the advisor maybe should get better and be able to recognize early on that even though they're saying yes, you know that they're not going to be able to stomach and stick to the plan, but uh, each person's different. So I guess the best answer is it depends. (laughs) That's interesting to me because, again, we talked about this last week, but I'm probably more black and white. Uh, I am probably more on the side that I believe you can train people to do that. And I use, this is small sample size, but I use... You know, the market bottomed March 23rd last year was down about 36%, 36% drawdown from peak to trough, top to bottom. And I had a conversation with a lot of clients that said, that's game film, right? How did you behave? One client I had a conversation with, I went back to email exchanges we had on March 23rd, and we actually looked at those emails because it was a reminder. What did it feel like in that moment? Right. But I didn't have any clients like what you said, capitulate, right. where they wanted to make a, a wholesale change to their portfolio. And for me... I was happy for my clients because I was saying, man, now you have under your belt this level of endurance that next time you're going to be able to kind of dig deep and remember that you made it through. And that's one of the things we talk about in the article. You have these drawdown periods and then you have these recovery periods. And what I think risk really is, is not only this idea of not selling because you're emotional, but not selling because you have to. Because sometimes you're going to have to sell to cover expenses. So you have to have a clear understanding of what are those drawdowns look like to make sure that you're going to be able to emotionally behave. But then you have to look at those recovery periods to make sure you have an alternate resource to fund your expenses or your withdrawals to let that recover. Does that make sense? Did that resonate with you guys? No, it makes complete sense because ultimately when you ask people, it's kind of like when people talk about the bucket system, like what is this money for? When do you need it? And if well, maybe because maybe our listeners don't know what the bucket system is. Right. right, Okay. Good point. So the the bucket system is you pretty much earmark portions of your portfolio for upcoming expenses. So maybe you have a short term bucket, for example, that's going to be in very conservative investments, maybe even a money market or cash position, because you're going to use it to pay for a wedding this year, or you use it to pay for tuition this year. Then the next bucket may be, hey, this is my I want to buy a new house in 10 years. Uh, goal. So I don't want it to be in cash for 10 years, but I want it in something that's at least going to compound and grow at some sort of rate. But I have the thought that I'm going to use that money in 10 years. So as I get closer, I'm not comfortable with the value moving. Then you have your long-term money, maybe 20 plus years 
retirement funds. And that's money that I do not plan on spending for at least 20 years so I can uh, theoretically handle any type of volatility between now and then. So here's a question for you. Two situations, right? We have the bucket strategy and then we have one account. The bucket strategy, you're almost kind of describing that it's multiple accounts. Is Mm -hmm. that fair to say? Yeah. So let's say the two investors have the exact same investments. One is held in one account and one is held in the buckets. What's the difference? What's the benefit of the buckets? Oh, you're separating it. And so it gives, oh, it's a psychology trick because they look at this account didn't move, safe money, check the box. This account didn't move much, 10-year money, check the box. This went down a lot, but that's okay because it's 20-year money. I'm not worried about it. When it's all together, it's a blended. They may not be able to do that. That's why I'm pretty convinced. I, I agree with you that, that it depends, but I'm pretty convinced that you can set up some a very successful environment for people to survive volatility, and that is by two parts. One, part one, explaining to them exactly what is going to happen. Why do people love Uber more than taxis? They know how long until the car is going to show up, right? Even if it says that that car is going to be there in seven minutes and that would be the exact same as a taxi, you want to see it on the screen, you want to see how far it is, and you want that clarity, right? So clarity is huge. So if you explained it to somebody that this is going to happen, this type of drawdown, these type of recovery periods, and then secondly, you have some sort of bucket that says this is where we're going to stick the spigot, to help us survive if that event that we know is going to happen actually happens. Does that make sense to you guys? It yeah. does. Maybe a, a good thing for you to touch on too is the time frame of recoveries historically. Yeah, so I put a chart in here showing for the last 50 years how deep those drawdowns have been, not to say that they can't be deeper in the future, and how long those recovery or underwater periods have been. So the longest one there was probably about five or six years. So what that means to me is that you better have a plan that allows you to stay invested in those high return assets, uh, volatile assets that you can withdraw from for that five year period. So what I talked about in the article is how do you build in safety nets? Now, it's going to be different for everybody. But what I wanted to get across is we have risk in our everyday life. And how do we typically deal with it? We either cover it with insurance or um, I said, if you're a football team, what do you do? You have a backup quarterback. So what, I, what I'm saying is that you need to have a backup account, right? So if you and your advisor decide that for these volatile assets, the recovery period could be five years, then you're going to build in the safety nets. For me personally, right? It's different for everybody. My safety nets are as follows. I have an emergency fund that covers six months of it worth of expenses. I have a line of credit that covers 12 months worth of expenses. I have uh, stocks that pay a dividend. So if needed, I don't have to reinvest them. I could take that dividend out and, and use it as a resource. I have most of my non-retirement account uh, assets in liquid securities so that if need be, they can be exchanged for cash fairly easily. So for me, those redundancies, right? Accomplishing the exact same thing, but backup plan one, backup plan two, backup plan three, that's really helpful. Now, not all of our listeners love football, but I know Sean and I do, and there were situations where, let's see what team it was. Was it the, which team was it this year? The Rams that had no quarterback. No, it was the Denver Broncos. Yeah. They, uh, you know, normally teams have uh, a first string quarterback, a second string quarterback, and a third string quarterback. Well, those three quarterbacks happened to be hanging out and they were all because on COVID, COVID protocol. Yeah, that's right. So they came into a game with uh, no I think they had a receiver. They had a wide receiver that right. played quarterback. So that is a situation where you say, hey, three redundancies 
isn't always enough, but that might be the only situation I've ever heard of. So all this to say, you build into a financial plan these safety net redundancies to make sure when those long recovery periods and long drawdowns happen, you have another resource for you. Absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if there's really much else to talk about here except for the fact... Um, oh, I guess I have one more thing to touch yeah. on. So I thought it was pretty powerful, the chart that you put in that compared the different portfolios based off of returns and the compounding difference. I, I don't think people would understand that off the top of their head. Maybe we do because it's what we talk about and read about all day. But if you told someone, uh, it's kind of like when you do the compounding growth of saving. When you tell someone like, hey, do you think there's a big difference if someone... Uh, I don't remember the chart off the top of my head, but if someone had a 7% return, a 5% return, or a 3% return, the average person might think, like, oh, those are small numbers. No, it's not a big difference at all. But when you factor that in for 10, 20, 30 years, it is a big difference. So as Trevor said, if we can, this is like a bad word, but train them, but or teach them or help them evolve, whatever verb you want to use, if we can help them uh, apply that comfort level to their overall portfolio and their comfort, uh, their risk tolerance, it can be a tremendous difference 30 years from now. Yeah, and the chart is pretty simple. Um, I think sometimes when you're talking finance and you use words like stocks, bonds, currency, cash, and all these different investments, it can overwhelm somebody. So in the article, I just said, hey, bucket A is a security where the price doesn't move much and the return is 2%. Bucket B is a security that has a 7% return and the price moves a lot. When you mix and mingle those two things together, you can do it in a lot of different percentages and allocations. And I showed over 30 years, the return prospects of those is really different. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was saying, when you work with an advisor and you talk about risk, that then decides what a portfolio is. And if you stick with that portfolio, if you have the wrong portfolio, that miscommunication, lost in translation, will continue to compound a negative impact on your personal situation. And I think that's relevant to the way a lot of 401k plans work these days where they're placed into target date funds. I'm not anti-target date fund, but if you own a 2020 target date fund and you retired this year, you should look under the hood and look at the makeup of that actual portfolio because I'm going to tell you right now, you have a lot of bucket A stuff in there. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of stuff that's probably a less than 2% return. And is that going to solve for your financial plan? Uh, It might not, but you might think, hey, this is the appropriate portfolio because that was my actual retirement year. And the conversation goes a lot further than that. But what the target date fund or kind of like this glide path is trying to do is assuming that, hey, if you're age 65, you should have an ultra conservative portfolio because that's just the assumption. And the assumptions is what can get us in a lot of trouble. Well said. It's a good way to end it. Uh, Yeah, that's really good. Anything to add, Kenny? Uh, no, not really. Just yeah, in regards to the composition of the portfolios, as you mentioned, uh, different return uh, profiles. Uh, yeah, sure. At the end of 50 or 20 or 30 years, it can be different uh, returns, 30, 40, 50 percent. Uh, but that journey, as, as you have mentioned repeatedly, is, is very, very important. Right. And that reminds me of uh, this brings back a highly quoted figure in our industry, which is the average long term return, say, 20 years of S&P 500. Right has been, uh, let's call it 10, 9, 11%. Yet the average investor has only achieved perhaps half of that 60% because they're not able to, you know, stay the path, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, to say, you know, that's important because uh, every investor is going to want to say, well, I want the 60% return. Like, 
why would I want something that's maybe a little more conservative as long as I have my uh, like uh, sleep at night money? Why would I put anything else in the risk asset uh, but risk assets and achieve that, that 60% return? Uh, because if that's not optimal to your objectives, constraints, your uh, ability to withstand the volatility, you won't get to that 60%. You may actually get to a, a much lower return than a more balanced portfolio because you make the wrong decisions at the wrong times. That's such a good point. How many times have you had someone tell you, oh, yeah, I've been investing in the market for years. I'm comfortable with volatility. And then you, you look at what they own and it's uh, multiple bond funds. Or, <laughs> and then the equities they do own, they they get upset or uncomfortable with, you know, an 8% correction. And you're kind of like, wait, wait, this is normal. <laughs> and then on the flip side, you have people that are like, I'm really conservative. And then you look and they own like levered, oil ETFs, you're sitting like, wait, 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 this doesn't make sense at all. Why do you own this? Yeah, it doesn't line up. Yeah. And I think what you're speaking to, Kenny, uh, this, a lot of the studies is called the behavior gap. Yes. Um, and I think that goes back to where when most people reach out to us, they want investment management and financial planning, but perhaps the most impactful thing is going to be the behavioral coaching. Yeah. Vanguard did a study on, on that and you know, you can criticize the study, but it basically shows the added benefit to the behavioral coaching because sometimes just helping somebody stay the course is the most important part. And I'll wrap us up with a Mike Tyson quote that I'll probably butcher, but it's something to the extent that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. That's right. That's uh, right. And that's perhaps why the advisor is a really good partner at that point. Because let me tell you, if you're an investor, you absolutely are going to get punched in the face. Um, so we'll wrap it up there. We'll ask that um, you rate the podcast, you leave comments. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. Any questions you have, feel free to reach out. It's tom at thebonsongroup.com. And of course, we will be back next week with more of our thoughts, thoughts on money. money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.